Man, thank you, John. That was awesome. I think that was enough for the sermon today, huh? That was pretty good stuff. I can just, we can just take that and go home and pray about letting God drill that stuff uh, into our heart. Um, you know, as I was thinking about this and praying about this, um, the Lord reminded me of back uh, when I was in school and, you know, finals week. Anybody have great memories of finals week? Yeah, no, right? Finals week, stink, right? And, and I remember um, when I was in college and me and a group of my friends would get into finals week and uh, we'd pick up uh, our textbooks for the first time. Anybody do that? Like all year long, you're like sitting in class most of the time uh, and uh, you're trying to take notes and you're trying to pay attention. And then a few weeks before finals, uh, you try to you know, ask a billion questions of your professor, like what's gonna be on the test, you know? And then you pick up your textbook for the first time and, uh, and you spend, you know, a few over, you know, all-nighters going into the textbook to find the answers to get a what? To get an A, right? I mean, that's your hope, right? You want to get a good grade. And so you would go to that textbook and you would read it like you've never read it. You'd find stuff in the margins you'd never seen before. You were like, wow, I should have read this all semester. There's some nice stuff in here. But you're really reading it for the most part because there was a test coming. And when you took that test, you wanted to get an A. How many of you guys, you were really good at that? Like you're really good at that cram time. You went in, you'd get an A. And then what usually happened to that information? You'd flush it away. At least I did, right? You study it, you cram it, you go in, you take the test. You do pretty good on the test because you're pretty good at cramming. You get the grade you want, and then you flush it away. And I wonder a little bit, at least when I look at my own life, if that's some of our mentality when we approach God's word. I, I, I think in a few ways. One is I think we're often going to God's word because we think that there's a test. The test is, is God going to approve of me? And so we, we've heard our whole spiritual life if you've grown up in the church. And maybe you didn't grow up in the church, and this would be interesting to you. But if you grew up in the church, there's this idea that, right, faithful Christians read the Bible. And like John said, that's true. In fact, I, I love what he said, that you can't find anyone who finished well that really lived their whole life faithfully with Jesus, who didn't make the Bible a cornerstone of their life. But I think sometimes I grew up in the church hearing that, thinking, okay, that's how God's going to approve of me. That's the, the thing I need to check off on my list to make sure that at the test, when I stand before God, he's going to look at me and he's going to go, all right. And this is the way I always env envision the judgment time with God. All right, Chucky. God's going to call me Chucky. He's going to say, Chucky, now, do you remember that verse in Lamentations? And I'll be like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, let me see, limitations, limitations. Give, give me, give me, give me, uh, give me a cue, give me a cue, give me a cue. And I kind of envisioned that that me and my relationship with God and, and getting approval from God was based on my ability to take the test, and, and that was going to mean spending time in this book and making sure that I knew the answers, right? And that was the way I was taught. I don't know about you, but I was taught read the Bible to answer to answer questions. So what do you do about this question in science? Read the Bible. What do you do about this question about morality? Read the Bible. What do you do? And what do you, how do you date? And how do you, how do you know what to do with your job? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. And the Bible was ways to answer questions about 
how I was supposed to live my life so at the end of the day, I'd be approved by God. If you grew up in church, I don't think this is that uncommon, that this was our approach to the Bible. And the problem with that approach is we just keep dropping off, and then we get discouraged, and we go, man, I'm never going to get that A. Anybody ever had that kind of semester? You started digging into study, and you were like, oh, man. Yeah, I'm not getting a good grade tomorrow. And then what do you usually do? You quit studying, right? You put it down and you said, all right, I'm not going to get an A. I think that's generally oftentimes what drives us. So we're looking for answers so that we can take the test. And I don't know if that's exactly what the Bible talks about when it says going to the word of God. I think another way that some of us come to this is, especially more, I think, younger millennials maybe, and I hear this a lot with people, is we come to it like the Bible is like our tarot cards. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys ever seen anybody flip through tarot cards? You kind of you got a stack of them and you flip through them and you, you pull one out, hoping that when you read that tarot card, it's going to say something that's going to be, oh, oh, that was so good for my heart. Oh, that was so fortuitous. I always think that's so funny. Because most people I know who do tarot cards just keep shuffling two till they get one that speaks to their heart. You know, oh, wow, can you believe I pulled that card? Yeah, it was like the 20th card you pulled. You kept shuffling through to get them. But I also know in my life, and I've seen people in my life, that their approach to this book is to just flip through it, try to stick their finger somewhere, and then try to get like kind of a lucky word that's going to be like, oh, see, it's okay if I break up with my boyfriend. It's fine. See, it says right here. I read it. Oh, it's, it's okay if I, if I take that new job or if I do this new thing or it's okay. Like, hey, you know, and, and I've seen people really make some big life decisions based on kind of flipping through and trying to find, put their finger in something, you know, that, oh, good, that's, all, that's what my heart needed. Like it's like some lucky, you know, lucky thing you can just thumb through to find something that helps you get what you want. It's a very selfish way of coming to it, but I think a lot of people flip through their Bible like that. It's putting their finger in it, hoping it'll say something that you need for the moment. Not that the Bible doesn't speak to us in the moment. Don't hear me say that wrong. Right? But I think that the approach to it. And then I think there's some people in the house. And if this person's not in the house today, you know this person. This person looks at this book and goes, man, isn't the 21st century? Like, I don't find that very relevant. To me, and, 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 and I'm not even talking about the, person, the, the big skeptic outside the church who looks in and goes, are you kidding me? A book that has something to say about your sexuality? Forget that. A book that says something about, you know, that you have to like commit to your marriage, but I want out of my marriage. I mean, there's a whole group of skeptics that look at this and go, just the stuff that it says in there, it's not about being relevant or not. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to live under that authority. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the person who says, I'm a Christian. And, and maybe this, you know, I've been told it's true. You know, I don't have any major objections to its truth. But I, I don't find it relevant. I don't, I don't find it speaking to my daily experience. And I don't find it saying things to me when I'm in conflict. I don't, I don't find it coming to me when I have a relational issue. I, I don't know what it has to say about the way I handle my finances. And I, I just look at this and I just go, I don't know if this is very relevant. And sometimes I think that question still lands on the, it's all about me. 
attitude. All three of those perspectives come to this and say, what can this do for me? And I'll tell you this, there's a lot that will happen to you and for you and for your good when you get into this book. But this book is not about you. And it's not about you. And as long as we think it's about me, we will never find life in it. And we will never go to it for the reason we were called to go to it. So I wanna look at that a little bit. What is this book about? And when we find out what it's about, then I think we can go to it with some passion, some zeal, I would even say with some deep delight. Because when we go to it for what it's about, we are guaranteed to find what we're looking for there. We will never strike out when we go to this book to find what it's actually all about. I wanna show you this, Jesus, this is from the mouth of Jesus himself in Matthew 22. It's a verse you have all heard and many of us have heard and Jesus is gonna tell us what it's all about. He says in verse 35, and this is, this is a moment where a Pharisee is trying to trap Jesus. Um, they were always trying to trap Jesus around the Pharisees and the Sadducees and around some theological controversies of the day. And Jesus would always kind of cut through that. But one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment uh, in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Okay, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. Mark 12 adds, and with all your strength. Right, Love God with everything. Love him with every intention of your thought. Love him with every passion of your heart. And Mark would add, and love him with every action of your hands and feet, like the strength of your body. Love God with that. That's the greatest commandment. Mind, heart, soul, and strength. And then look what he says. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That is a mind-blowing phrase. On these two commandments, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets, everything that Moses wrote in the Torah, everything that every prophet wrote, all of Kings and Chronicles and Lamentations, Habakkuk, all of it hangs on love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Or we could say it like this. All of Scripture is pointing us to and cultivating in us a love for God. Everything in Scripture, everything in Scripture, it's aimed at getting us to love God. Love God. And it's, and, it's, and it's written in every bit of its complexity to cultivate in us a love for God. 
this is all about God. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It's written to reveal God and to cultivate in us a love for God. And if we come to it like that, if we realize that everything written in here is, is to somehow cultivate and work and shape my heart so that when I tend to love other things more than God, that the word of God would push me back toward God. And when it would shape, when idols would rise up in my heart and I would say, I want that, the, the word of God would tumble that idol in my heart. Every page, every prophet written to get the spotlight off of you and me and off of the things we may see around us and put the spotlight back on God and then cultivate in us a love for God above all things. Isn't that beautiful? And, and, and if you follow the teachings of Jesus, he's, he's even gonna narrow this thought even more, not just love God, the greatest commandment, and love your neighbor as yourself, but look at what Jesus is going to say in Luke. Luke 24. Um, I love Luke 24 because Luke 24 is after the resurrection. Um, Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of the world, an unjust death he did not deserve. The Son of God became a man lived on planet earth for some 32, 33 years, went to a Roman cross, was humiliated, stripped naked, killed on a cross. Then he rose again. And three days after he rose again, so, so Jesus is alive right now. This is a cool period of time in human history. Jesus has died on the cross. He's rose from the dead. The women have seen Jesus, but Jesus isn't hanging out with his disciples. He's kind of showing up kind of at random places. And there's these two guys, two disciples, that are walking to this town called Emmaus. And uh, they're pretty distraught, as could be imagined. They're, they're pretty distraught, and they're walking, and they're talking, and they're just kind of complaining about, like, what happened? We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he would redeem Israel. We, 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 all his teaching burned in our heart. It was amazing. Then he died. He said he was going to die, but I didn't really believe he was going to die, and I'm not sure, even though he said he was going to die, that that was a good thing for us. We, we actually told him, stop saying you're going to die, Jesus. But he dies. And then these women... And, and, and you got to get the culture here that they don't really trust what the women have said. Women couldn't even testify in court at that time. And, and so the, the guys are going, yeah, and, and these women have said they see him risen from the dead, but yeah, no. When Jesus encounters these two guys and uh, he draws near to them and he hides from them who he is and he starts walking with them. What are you guys talking about? Oh, you know, we just, oh, we're so distraught, and they're complaining, and they're like, we thought he was going to redeem Israel, and then he died, and then all this different stuff. And then I love what it says here in verse 27. And by the way, I didn't put this on the screen, but I love Jesus. He goes, you guys are dumb. Very affectionately, by the way. It's okay if Jesus looks at you sometime and says, you're a dummy. You don't really get it, but it's okay. And check out what he says. And beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, 
If you've ever done a reading plan before, there's a good chance you didn't make it out of those books. There's a good chance when you did your Bible reading plan, you got to Numbers, and somewhere between Numbers and Leviticus, you were like, all right, blood and guts, and unclean and clean. Oh, what am I to do with this? And Jesus would say, you're supposed to see me there. Jesus, what am I doing with Leviticus chapter 7 and, and, and these people and this blood and this stuff sprinkled everywhere and this priest, you know, saying all this random stuff. Jesus go, me. You're supposed to see me right there. I'm there. That's all about me, Jesus says. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them in the scriptures, in all the scriptures. Somebody say all. All. Everything. Pick your favorite, most random, crazy moment. Jesus goes, that's, that's the point to me. That's to cultivate you to see me, Jesus says. See, I, I think one of our big problems, one of our big struggles when we come to this is we're not looking for the right thing. So we get all bent out of shape and we're twisted in a pretzel and we're trying to, trying to figure things out. And Jesus is going, me, <laughs> it's me. That's the point to me. To show you me. To show you what I'm about and what I'm doing on planet Earth and, and how you could love me more. I love that. He points to them everything concerning himself. There is one more verse that I want to show you here. See, you got that all of it's about God. The whole law and all the prophets, it all hangs to cultivating us a love for God. In particular, we can narrow that to say, Jesus, right? Because our culture wants to go, sure, be spiritual. God, you know, what, who's God? No, Jesus says, I'm God. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. And then there's this other mind-blowing thing that I think holds up the foundation of a passion for Scripture that the saints through all human history have seemed to have. And this is 2 Timothy 3, and I want you to hear this. 2 Timothy 3, 14. Paul's writing to his mentee, Timothy, and he says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Me, Paul says. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the scripture. That's the grapha, the, the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So these scriptures are able to help you see that you need God and God through Jesus can rescue you. And in verse 16, all grapha, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's God's breath on a page. Every page you flip here is the of God. It's the breath of God. And, and the image that Paul seems to be trying to get in is, is that when you get into this, you're getting so close to the face of God that you could, you could feel his breath breathing on you when he talks. This is not some distant, you go in a corner, your God up in heaven's like, you go figure this out. When you pick this up, you're picking up the breath of God. The intimacy that God wants for you and for me. 
And then everything that's in there, it's, it's good for reproof. It's good to say, hey, that's broken. Don't walk in that way. It's good for training. Like, this is how you have a godly marriage. It, it's good for all of the answers we are looking for. Isn't that wild? That we go to the Bible for the thing the Bible is about, namely to know God as a side thing. God shows us some of the answers to some of our questions. But you see, if we flip it, if we get it wrong here, We'll mess up. In other words, if we go to this to get all of our questions answered about how to live our lives, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's still about us. So we'll get it out. We'll figure it out how to have a godly marriage, how to do it right, how to raise godly kids. And we'll be selfish people. And the law that we've kind of grabbed onto will actually crush us and crush people around us. The life that God wants to see come out of us is one that comes out of us because we are we are getting the breath of God. And we're falling more and more and more in love with God himself. And then, yeah, stuff begins to flow out of us about how we relate to others and how we live and how we work and how we talk and how we serve and, and all the things that we have questions about. The Bible will speak to, to all of those things, but it's the breath of God. And, and these realities, it seems like everybody who really had a rooted life in God, these were the realities that held them together. That their joy of going to all the prophets and all the writings of Moses and their joy of picking up the gospels and their joy of going to the Psalms was, was driven because they were like, I want to see you, God. I want to love you more. The Holy Spirit has come inside of me, and, and it stirs in me to love you and to want you more. And, and that stirring in my heart is driving me to this. So, so God, show me who you are. Show me what you're saying. God, change my heart. Shape my heart. I want you. Here's the breath of God coming right back at you through Scripture. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So as these realities hold us together, then we're going to this because it's about God and its purpose is to cultivate in us a love for God. And it's the breath of God on a page to us. With that in mind, then, I, I want to give you um, a few ways to cultivate this love in a practical way. One of these ways, the first one, is just what we're trying to challenge you to do. Read it every day. Now knowing why you go to it, which is to see God everywhere, to see Jesus in every page of scripture, now read it every day. Read it every day as a, a, a commitment to say, I want to hear the breath of God every day. Read it every day, not as the checklist, not as the thing you're doing, hoping that you can pass the test, not in just, though you will get knowledge, but not just to get knowledge. But go to it because you want to see Jesus. Read it every day. And a couple of practical ways to help you with reading it every day is have a plan. That's what we're giving you a plan. Have a plan. Now, as someone, my journey is a little bit different than John's. But for the last seven years or so, I've tried to read through the Bible every year. And I've had a plan. And, and I'll tell you this. Some days, some days, I go to that plan in the stress of life or just my own cold heart toward the Lord, I just move through it. It takes me about eight or 10 minutes. Not reading fast, just reading it through. But my goal, my heart, 
is that what happens in that plan is some days I come to that plan and, and I'm just kind of mad. But I read through it. Okay, God, help me to love you. The next day, maybe God has challenged my heart, reminded me of something. Maybe I've repented. Come back to it again and, and maybe I spend 25, 30 minutes on it. I just read it back and forth, highlighting and circling words and but I got a plan. See, the plan helps me stay the course even in the ebb and flow of my emotions, even in the ebb and flow of my affections. That John took the words right out of my mouth. I'm by nature interested in passive entertainment. I can marathon, man, you give me a day or two off, I can marathon through more seasons than you can imagine. If there's enough hours in the day to get through it, I'll get through it. I will set my eye on the prize and I will finish that show in that day off. So it, it, it helps me just to stay, hey, I rise and fall of my emotions and all the stuff that I'm feeling, I'm, I got a plan. And sometimes I come to that plan and whoa. And sometimes I come to that plan and I just need it to, to bump into my heart. I need to see a different shade of the character of God. Maybe I don't even fully understand and it just, but it bumps into me and I, and I need to see it. And I ask God, God, would you show me who Jesus is here? We want to read it every day. We want to have a plan. We want to have accountability. So if you're in one of our CGs, uh, we're going to build in some accountability in our CGs. And, and so we're going to take some time in every CG. It's not going to be what we study every week. But we're going to take some time at the beginning of CGs to, to look around the room and say, hey, we just want to give a little bit of space. Has God said anything to anybody this week through your daily reading? Has God spoken to anyone? Has God moved in anyone's heart? We just want to give some space for some just some natural accountability. But I'll tell you this. Beyond that, I would encourage you. I would challenge you, guys and girls. Find a buddy who you can talk to weekly. Grab someone you love and grab someone you enjoy talking to and say, hey, can some point this week, can we talk for 15 minutes? Could we pray together? Can we do something kind of informal? And can we just, just chat in like, hey, has is, is God said anything to us in Leviticus? And this is, we gotta, whoo, we're trudging through. God, where are you? Jesus, where are you? Just, you gotta have some built-in accountability. Right, have a plan, have some accountability. Um, and look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. I tell you, this rescued me. When I stopped trying to figure out every nitty gritty of every little passage I was reading, and I tried to say, okay, I, I fixed my mind on Jesus. Where do I see this pointing to Jesus? Now, now I'll just tell you, I'm gonna briefly tell you this, um, but Jesus, right, holds together this arc of scripture and so when you read scripture, you're going to find these different arcs. And one of the arcs is creation, right? That God's a creator God. So when you see creation, Colossians tells you that God, that Jesus did creation. So, so when you see things about creation, Jesus, that's pointing, Jesus was there. Jesus was doing it. Jesus was speaking. Then when you read, I mean, scads of the Old Testament, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And people sin in ways that you're like, Wow, I didn't even know human beings could do that to each other. Well, that just hits the arc of the fallenness of humanity and rebellion against God. And there are whole books of the Bible. For example, the book of Judges. 
that its whole purpose is to show you how broken humanity can get when it has rebelled against God and goes its own way. See, that points you to Jesus. See, I, when, when, before I knew that, I'd read Judges and I'd be like, what in the world? You got people getting parts of their body cut off. You got people getting strewn around. I mean, when I was a kid, I'd read some of this stuff and I'd be like, Mom, are we really supposed to read this? Like, if this isn't a movie, you wouldn't let me watch it. See, all that's about how broken we can get. It all, it all points us. It's the call of, you know, turn toward a rescue. Turn toward a savior. Repent. A, a judge, a, a savior can rescue in, but just turn your attention back to the Lord. See, all that points us to Jesus. You've got themes, the whole book of Leviticus. Why is that about Jesus? It's about the spotless lamb slain for the sin of the world. God entrained into the Jewish people that they were broken, and they were broken in every intent of their heart. They were broken in every little place. Every move could make them unclean. Every wrong word could make them unclean. Every disobedience to their parents could make them unclean. And what did they do when they were unclean? They took a spotless lamb, and they slaughtered the lamb, and the blood of the lamb would cover their sin, and the priest would say, you're clean. Every single page, you're not clean. You're broken. There's been a sacrifice. Redemption. The blood of the lamb covering the brokenness of humanity. When you talk about a family, how do we live in this gospel community? And we talk about a future. So you look at these themes, creation, brokenness, redemption, the family of God, and the future. And then you look at the thing and you go, okay, where do those themes Point me to how Jesus is the focal point of creation. And Jesus is the hope of my brokenness. And the blood of Jesus is how I'm righteous. And the, and the family of God is how I walk in community. And the future, the new heavens and the new earth is where God makes everything right in the world. Right? Scripture lays in those themes and points us to Jesus. Every one of those themes. So we read it every day. We have a plan. We have accountability. And we look for Jesus. The second thing we do is we ask God to show us. We ask God to show us. Just like those guys on the road to Emmaus could not see Jesus in the scriptures. They just couldn't see him. Jesus had been with them. He had talked with them, but they couldn't see him. I love how David points to this need. Look at what he says in Psalms 119, verse 18. He says, open my eyes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. David is so dependent that God would reach into him and see his inability to, to see, even if he's trying to see. And he says, God, please open my eyes. Please help me see. And, and I got to tell you, this simple prayer could change your time in God's word every day. What would happen if every day you rub sleep out of your eyes and you opened up your daily reader and you say, God, I need to see you in a beautiful way. I, got, I need to see you in a beautiful way. 
I, I really, actually right now, I don't know if I even want to see you in a beautiful way because I've got some stuff that's happened to me and I'm struggling right now. But I, I want to see you in a beautiful way. God, would you open my eyes to see wondrous things in this law that's all about you? Would you please help me to see you? Open my eyes. Let me see. Um, those kind of things, the discipline of reading it every day in community and the prayer of God would show you something, would show you something beautiful in it, can be life-changing. A few other things that I think as I kind of move toward the end here, a few other things could be things like listening to faithful preaching. First Peter tells us that Peter said to the church, he said, hey, listen, you were saved through this unchanging word of God. You were saved through this unchanging word of God. And look at it. He said, you were born again, not of imperishable seed, but of imperishable, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This thing lasts forever. Look at verse 24. It says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, here's my thought around this. This word of God that he wants the people to grab onto, he's going to say that what inspired you to see this word was it was preached to you. And, and, and this is just for free. But as we move into growing in our love for God through the word of God, one of the things that will really help us are these gatherings. When you show up and you hear the word of God preached week after week after week, that challenges you to see the centrality of the word, challenges you to see where Jesus is, and it shapes your heart. You know, when, when I got caught onto this, um, I loved going to church and I would hear preaching from my pastor, but I, I started where I couldn't get enough. So I started looking up faithful preachers, and I started podcasting them. I started podcasting people like Tim Keller and maybe John Piper. Sometimes I would podcast John MacArthur, though he was a little dated, and, and I would listen to R.C. Sproul. And, and one time I found some old, old clips of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I started listening to his whole teaching on the book of Ephesians. It was just a way of shaping my heart to have this love for Scripture. And you'll see the saints, they, they love God's Word, they read God's Word, but then they, they listen to it. I would say another thing that could help you with this is read compelling, faithful books about Scripture. Maybe you, you haven't deeply, deeply meditated on the way the cross shapes you. Read The Cross of Christ by John Stott. If you're not sure how, what it means deeply to think about abiding in the vine, read Knowing God. There's some classics out there that, that will push us to, to see God's word for what it's supposed to be. And it shapes us on our journey as we're trying to read every day. It shapes our passion to see Jesus in every page of scripture. The fifth thing, and the band can come back up and I'm almost done here. The fifth thing, and you see David doing this, is he memorizes. Look at this in verse 10. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored your heart, your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. What's David saying? 
David's saying one of the ways that he delights in God, one of the ways he seeks God with all of his heart is he starts to memorize it. He starts to, he starts to just go over it again and again and again and again. I would suggest to you, and this is, again, for free, but I would suggest that when you grab someone that you're going to like stay accountable with to read the Bible, I would suggest that you find a scripture. Maybe there's, maybe there's three or four verses that you want to memorize for a month. And then you want to add three or four the next month. But I would suggest that you begin to add scripture into your work before that you begin to memorize scripture so that your mind is fixed on the things that Jesus says. Memorize. Another one here. It's like, well, Chuck, I'm trying to see Jesus, but sometimes I'm reading this stuff and it's confusing. I would suggest to you that you get yourself like some tools, things like study Bibles and commentaries and maybe even online tools, but, but help yourself as you're kind of reading through some of the stuff and you're trying to find Jesus there, get some help. Get some materials that would, that would kind of guide you through some of this stuff. But there's two more things here and I'll close. You know, I told you at the beginning about how when I was in college, my, my pattern would be to cram and study, take the test and flush. When I graduated from college, I got a grad assistantship to go to Missouri State, and that part of that assistantship as I was getting my master's in communications was that I was to teach the basic level of public speaking for college freshmen. And uh, so I started taking these grad classes in rhetoric, um, but I had to teach a bunch of 18-year-olds the basic level of public speaking. And for the first time in my life, I had to study something that I had to teach. How well do you think I internalized at that season of my life? Man, I internalized everything. I would read and then I would teach. I would read and then I would teach. And all of a sudden, the stuff I was reading, I'd read journal articles and I'd be like, whoa, that's cool. And I'd get in front of these 18 year olds and I'd be like, did you know that if you move to this part of the room or if you try this or if you shape this, that it'll make an impact people will listen to you and all of a sudden the stuff I, I was studying I, I had a passion for studies show that stuff we teach is stuff we actually believe did you know that in other words if you don't open your mouth to ever share about the great things God has shown you you can ask yourself an even deeper question do you believe they are true See, that's the big question. Is this stuff you're, you're checking and you're reading and you're looking at, if it's not stirring your heart with the delight that David demonstrates when he reads this thing, and if you don't open your mouth and say, God, teach me, that's what David says. He says, teach me your statutes. I will tell of your great deeds. If your mouth can't open to talk about what God is showing you, you may not believe it. Definitely haven't internalized it. So I want to challenge you. Get in the Bible every day. Look for Jesus there. It's all about Jesus. Get accountable. Meet some folks that you can talk to and, and share with and, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ that can challenge us to continue to move forward so that this thing shapes our heart. 
you're silent about it, well, come on. If God answers your prayer to see wonderful things in his word, and you're silent, then why? What are we doing here? that the reason human beings are made by God in the image of God is I believe what's intrinsic to our purpose is that we spotlight God. I think that's why it says be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Because I think God's saying I want people to see me everywhere you go. So fill this planet with little image bearers of me. So you go to this thing to see God. David's falling in love with God.